It, it brings us back to our episode to episode concept of <laughs> landlord bad. Um, so what? Um, this is the first time hearing about this. <laughs> I feel like we bring it up at least like parenthetically every episode. Anyway. Um, I, I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. Maybe it's just in my head. Um, it's just living up there <laughs> in the great glass head box in the sky. Hadrian. What? From my, from my experience editing episode nine, I've realized that it's really nice when we don't talk over each other. Hmm. And we don't interrupt. Okay. So um, from my experience editing the first eight episodes, I just suck it up and move it around so that we don't talk over each other in the final edit. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. That, that's definitely one of the things I miss from being in the station. Is like being able to to get the physical cues. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I feel like we talk over each other more uh, compared to, to being in the station. Totally. I really miss the physical side of you, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, Misky. I think part of the reason that I like stammer so much during the recording is because I'm just afraid that someone's going to like come in and interrupt me at any moment. Over. <laughs> uh, so I have a list of concepts to talk about during this episode. The first concept is my seedlings. And I wanted to talk to you guys in secret about a plan I have. Which is great because no one listens to the podcast, so it'll it'll stay secret. <laughs> Watch this one get like a thousand downloads somehow. <laughs> you gotta start somewhere. Most people don't start at the top. So I don't know how much gardening you guys do, but I used to do a lot more gardening back when I lived in Michigan, as opposed to now when I'm living here in Massachusetts. And I live in an apartment right now near Symphony. Um, I won't get into the details because this is going on the internet, but there's not a whole lot of gardens to plant in nearby. But I still want to use part of my summer to tend to some plants. So I went to a local hardware store and picked up some seeds, and I proceeded to germinate those seeds in my apartment. My, my secret plan is to take these small plants and distribute them around hidden corners and planters on the campus of MIT and maybe other schools in the area, which are all now re uh, remote. So there's very few staff still on campus. And I'm going to use this free real estate to, uh, to build a giant farming empire. <laughs> so I'm looking for you guys to poke some holes in this, this plan. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to do that. Why? This is just like a, a reckoning. It's not like an actual fact that I've pulled out. Don't give me that. What, what the fuck? <laughs> We're doing a podcast. We might as well just say words. Um, <laughs> like the, the thing is, it's like it's like. Don't give me any content. <laughs> the the thing is that like okay like I don't know how to word this is the problem which is which is a problem that I constantly run into um, when doing the podcast as a human being. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I feel like there's some kind of like zoning regulations that like in certain places that like restrict the kinds of like gardens that you're allowed to have, like, or maybe like some HOA bullshit that like prevents you from having a garden because it lowers the property values to have food growing in your lawn or something. Um, but like, it, it, wouldn't me? it wouldn't surprise me if it was like considered illegal to like grow like crops 
on someone else's land, which, like, obviously, like, the land of MIT or Boston University or whatever doesn't belong to you. So, yeah. Especially now that you're not a student anymore. I, uh, I'll be a temp employee, though. I don't think being a student would really make a difference, but if they catch you in the act of, of tending to plants, I, if, if they don't realize that you put them there, I suppose that you could be charged with, like, tampering with property or, or something along those lines. But if they realize that it's not your plants, I, I'm curious what sort of... Like, like what, what sort of avenue it could be unless there's, like, an, an explicit uh, uh, ordinance against it. Yeah, or, or if, there was, if there was some, like, evidence, like, for example, talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> Correct. I mean, now, th- this, is, this is purely hypothetical. Oh, yes. Or speaking, like, legal scholars. <laughs> <laughs> do I have any supporters in the, in the chat room? Hector, <laughs> do you support my, my uh, farming? Oh, I muted myself because I didn't want to interrupt... Your uh, farming thing. Do I support it? Uh, that depends. Um, no, I mean, if you're sharing your beans with me, then I... Um, are you like a cartel? Fine with are you like Are you like some mobster? <laughs> like, you know, I'll let you plant your beans if you give me some bean money. <laughs> like, you're going like, to break, break my knees or something? Are you insinuating that I have connections to the cartel just based on the, my skin color? Um, well, I guess we've just about uh, explored the whole planting thing. <laughs> um, another interesting thing that I've been doing lately is exploring a bit in the Boston area, of course, wearing my face mask and following social distancing guidelines, but doing a little bit of exploring, walking down streets I normally haven't. Some urban exploration? Yeah, just a little bit of like jogging here and there, seeing what's new. Um, for example, there is a large construction site near Fenway Park where they're building a MGM music hall. I think that's what they called it. And I was curious what you guys thought about the music scene in Boston. Of course, the music scene before everything closed down. What do you mean by that? Because at the moment, there are a couple of venues that have, well, I know for sure one that has shut down and is not going to come back. Do you want to talk about that? So let's see. I'm trying to remember if it was a month. It was a month ago, I believe. Um, in the uh, after everybody left, uh, and, and so I guess to put it into perspective, a few of us here, actually all of us, were DJs at WMBR, you know, uh, the radio station at MIT. And so a lot of the times we frequent some venues because we can. We can get some tickets. Uh, from the station, which is, we're pretty fortunate. And a, a good venue was the Great Scott. And when the pandemic hit, quarantine happened, there was a lot of speculation on what was going to happen to some of these venues. Like, in my mind, I was wondering what was going to happen to the Middle East because there was not, we're not talking about the Middle East, which is what uh, one of our presidents, like, <laughs> bombed to shit. But uh, actually, I guess multiple presidents. I, I'm talking about the, uh, the venue re- slash restaurant that is in Central Square in Cambridge. There was a, I think in January, there was an article about how the venue was possibly going to be sold um, to, to, to anybody who was willing to do it. And there was like some history behind its owners and, and the management. So there was, it was in a little, it was in a weird, precarious situation. And so that got me to thinking of what was going to happen to other venues. And sure enough, the Great Scots general manager posted on social media saying that effective immediately, the 
bar slash venue was going to close because I believe it was because they couldn't, you know, continue paying um, for their lease. And since everyone can't go attend concerts as well as concerts being canceled and postponed indefinitely, even till next year, um, they couldn't, you know, handle uh, paying even more. So they closed down. I haven't heard of anything else from other venues, which is good, but it still worries me because uh, I, I've seen some concerts listed. I don't know if it'll happen, but I've seen them listed for beginning of June in around Cambridge or Boston. I don't know if it'll happen. I have my doubts, but I, I am worried about the future of uh, certain venues in in Cambridge and Boston. Yeah, me too. It really sucks. Um... <laughs> These like what? No, it's just funny. I, I guess because to not interrupt me, there was a, a lot of silence, and he just said, "Yeah, me too." No. <laughs> and then I thought you were gonna move on to the next topic. No, <laughs> no. It would have been funny. It would have been funny. That's that's what I meant. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, so the next topic on the podcast is <laughs> yeah, like the Great Scott, the Sinclair, Brighton Music Hall. These are all venues that are like adding a lot of culture to the region. Every student in the area who goes to shows knows of these re- these venues, and if the Great Scott is going out of business this early on in this crisis, then surely other venues are to come because we're only at the beginning of this recession, or should I say depression, economically. Um, my prediction is that yes, other venues will close down because of this. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree. I'm really hoping hoping that other uh, especially small venues can get some form of uh, business assistance to to carry them through until I know some degree of reopening. Like I, I I can only imagine how long it would take to to rebuild you know those th- those types of places. Yeah. So it is possible to do live streams. I have seen uh, like okay, I guess for example, um, a neighboring radio station WHRB had a live stream of some like. Uh, concert they had in their own radio station i I think i have seen some venues say that they are trying to plan for doing live stream shows where people can you know buy tickets and and watch them it's obviously it's not gonna be the same but that is one way that they can uh i guess float by i don't know how effective it's gonna be though yeah we have a friend they were an mit student and now they're living in the area I remember they made a post when the whole COVID stuff was getting getting pretty real about how they didn't re- didn't ask for refunds because while they could, uh, they wanted to support these venues and weren't sure when they would be able to go again. And that sort of sentiment is really important, especially when these live live streams are happening. That people, you know, they need to. Re- I guess you know, it's collective. It's a collective action issue, but people do need to realize that like if you don't if you don't support these venues now, then they probably will have some problems later on. Uh, with money. Yeah. Um, I was listening to um, this other podcast called Do By Friday. And um, one of the hosts is a guy called Max Temkin. He's one of the founders of Cards Against Humanity. 
um, which you know has done a lot of things like um, for the city of Chicago. Uh, he's also he 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 also founded um, a board game cafe that opened up about a month or two before the coronavirus crisis like began. Like it opened in like February or something. Oof. Um, and so he talks about that quite a bit, like on the program. And um, he was really like um, going off on this rant that I thought was like. Very sort of like 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 you know depressing as 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 this segment of the show is. Um, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I could get a slide whistle. Um, th- th- there are a lot of things in I guess what you would generally call the like hospitality industry or like service or whatever. Like 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 you have like concert venues, you have restaurants, and you have like things like that where um, those things run on, like, razor-thin margins, and so they can't, like, survive something like this without, like, without outside assistance. And those things are also, like, what makes a city, like, sort of, like, what makes it, like, unique and sort of, like, worth, like, living in the city. The culture. Yeah, exactly. They they provide the culture, like, for for, for a city. Um, And, 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 you know, culture is something that that we sort of talk a lot about, uh, off the air <laughs> over over many years or whatever, um, but uh, his his thing like his in, in his sort of like you know depressive black pilled funk, um, which which people get into sometimes, myself included, was like you know all this stuff is just gonna like go away and it's it's all gonna be replaced with like Chipotle's or like other sort of like big name like target companies that just like sort of like homogenize Starbucks all of the experiences. And and you know that that that's happened, you know, with like uh newspaper print, like journalism yeah. already, right? It's like all, all the local news is like Sinclair broadcasting and like maybe one other company or something like that. And like they're um I, I was gonna I was gonna mention another thing, but I probably shouldn't um, mention it. You don't want to out them? Yeah, like I, like or I don't know. It, it would be like 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 I I would feel awkward. Like I guess like it would be awkward. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's okay because uh, you know I can do that. You know I can I can take your burden for you. <laughs> I can carry that cross for you. <laughs> yeah, you, you could you could pretend you to interrupt I'm me. Just <laughs> You'll just cut it off at some point, like I used to do on on the on the air when we were at WNBR. I would occasionally. You'd be having a conversation, and I would just like slam cut to a song. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. No. I um I want to talk about crime and how it links into I guess what a lot of people are thinking about and and the, the way the way the world will shift um, with an economic downturn. So the other day I was walking to Wendy's to get a cheap chicken sandwich because that appealed to me and it still does. And on my way to Wendy's, I uh, noticed a few people at the bus stop and uh, and they were holding some some groceries in their hands, not in bags or anything, but just kind of like holding a. a a carton of eggs and some candy bars. And, uh, I saw a police officer walk over to them and exchange some words and then pulled the, pulled these items out of their hands and then, uh, wagged the, their finger at them and, uh, walked back towards the CVS they came from. And it appeared from what I was able to see here that this was some common shoplifting, um, which I mean, happens every day, happens all over the place. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Do you, do you guys think that this, like petty crime will 
increase if, you know, as it's projected, uh, tens of millions of Americans are unemployed um, and we enter into a economic downturn of sorts where people are having a hard time paying the bills, paying for food, paying for rent. Um, and what will this, what, what kind of societal changes might this <laughs> incur? And I don't want to stay on the sad, sad sack section of the podcast <laughs> for too long. Uh, but this was on my mind and it was something that I was thinking about. Are you suggesting that getting chump change from the government will uh, have people turn to alternative methods of acquiring goods and services? Uh, no. Ugh. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> this reminds me of like, um, the, the sort of like homelessness issue. And, um, I'm going to make another plug for a podcast. Uh, now, now that the semester's over, like listen to all the fucking podcasts in the world. Um, there's a show called you're wrong about, which I really like to, um, <laughs> recommend to people. Um, it's hosted by these two folks, uh, Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. And, um, they, they, like every two weeks or so, they do an episode about something that was sort of like mischaracterized by the press, um, and, and by the general public in one way or another. And, um, one of the great starter episodes that I like to recommend to people is the episode on homelessness. One of the really like interesting things about homelessness is that like, if there's like someone on the street or whatever, who's like, you know, is homeless and they like keep getting like arrested by the police, um, because they're like loitering or like doing whatever bullshit that, that they, that they arrest homeless people for, like that whole process is more expensive than just giving them a place to stay. Right. Yep. So, like, Correct. what you brought up of, like, all these people doing, like, these petty crimes and things, like, all this sort of, like, administrative labor that has to be done to, like, try to address the problem of of um, of people shoplifting or, like, the increases in petty crime, like, I bet that will probably end up being more expensive than the... Um, Mm-hmm. Than like actually like 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 having the social safety nets for people that they so that they don't have to do this shit. Yeah. But you know like as you may have seen like a few months ago in the news, um, the the um the New York City uh, the MTA, <laughs> they they spent all this money to like prevent people from hopping turnstiles, and they spent more money on enforcement than they would make back if like everyone paid fares. Oof. So like I think that there's just this sort like like it's not a logical thing. It's like it, it just seems to be this very like petty like punitive thing of just like we we, we want to spend as much money as possible to like make people miserable for being in a bad situation. Um and, or anyway that's how I feel. And and so like the fact that people are turning to like petty crime to like get by it's like, you know, like don't hate the player, hate the game. Like this is just what people have to do in these situations. Like they don't have any fucking food, like they can't pay for rent. Like what the fuck else do you expect them to do if you're not going to do anything for them? Yeah, but uh but $1200 is enough. I agree. It's enough for 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 <laughs> what is it? 8 10 weeks? Isn't that what like Steve Munchin said or something? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yes, I agree. I, I agree as well. Yeah, I, I'd imagine there's probably research on crime after the last recession. I, uh, I'm not familiar with it, but I, I'd be curious to see if I, I'd imagine there's probably mm. you know, going to be a, a, a similar effect uh, with whatever happens in in the future now. Uh, but I <laughs> this kind of struck strikes me as, as really funny, especially with kind of how it's portrayed. Uh, as, especially by you know, like more conservative uh, voices, because there's all this like moralizing about like homeless people and and, and, and criminals, but uh, like a large part of it is that like people respond to incentives, like like you said, Hadrian. Like if what you have to do to get by is to commit crime, like it's not because you're a bad person, it's because like you know for whatever reason, I, like that's what 
is optimal or what you believe to be optimal for 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 you and changing the like the incentive structure of like of how people make these decisions and you know like providing the a social safety net will you know do do wonders to to prevent that kind of behavior speaking of incentives i don't know if i brought up freakonomics before on this podcast but there's a it's a book and there's also like a movie adaption which tells some of the stories in the book but it's really interesting in terms of looking at incentives and how they affect economic structures and how they affect the outcomes of large like macroeconomic uh, statuses and stratas. In one of the stories, it talks about how the author and his his coworker, his colleagues um, who do economics research of sorts at Harvard, um, they, they came up with this idea where they would pay students for good grades in a high school. And the idea was that students would try harder if they were getting paid like monthly or by the semester, like pretty, pretty sizable sums of money um, for just having like decent above average grades. And in some cases they saw it worked out, but in some cases it like didn't really show any appreciable effect. Like there was no correlation really between the, the reward and a change in the overall grade distribution uh, for a given school. Um, and so some people point at this and they say, well, there's too many confounding factors. Um, you know, people who were going to make the money were, were, you know, made the money anyway. And the people who weren't making the money, if it was there originally, uh, wouldn't make the money. Um, and then some people on the more conservative side would say like, oh, see, like hard workers are like, I don't know, <laughs> like it's, it's like born into the, the warm blooded Americans who, who are warm blooded, hardworking Americans, um, or whatever. Uh, so I, I suppose like that's kind of in my head when I when I hear those conversations, um, and I suppose this is this is a pretty sensitive subject, um, so I want to make sure that we approach it with some tact, um, and, and and you know give a disclaimer that we do not obviously come from any point of experience or academic R- regarding what rigor in our in our comments here. It's mostly just an exploration. <laughs> Yeah, I can't speak. Yeah, I can't speak to anything about physics at all. I'm just a fucking idiot, a complete <laughs> fucking idiot. Uh, if I if you ever hear me say anything about physics, for disregard. Wait, wait, sorry. Regarding what? Oh, I'm just saying, like, we're not experts on crime statistics and the causes of crime, or the necessarily the effects of incentives on crime or upbringing or, you know, we're talking about some pretty big. Or anything really yeah. concepts, yeah. I mean, like you know what? Nobody knows anything. Yeah, <laughs> nobody can speak to anything except for people who just cite FBI crime um, statistics. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, I, I guess I'm being a little glib. We, we are, we are, we, we, we like I don't know. We're, we're young, you know, but uh, but but we do we we have we have uh, knowledge in certain fields. Like I know uh, quite a bit about software engineering. I don't talk about that much in the podcast because it's really boring. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so, and so that's the thing. I know a little bit about how to make nuclear weapons, but I don't talk about that in the podcast because it's boring. It's like snore. You're making an H bomb. <laughs> what else <Yeah>. is new? <laughs> uh. Next bit. Let's see. Let's look at the list here. What do I mean? I mean, next bit. This flow is supposed to flow. It's supposed to flow <laughs> right. like 
the Riverside uh, <laughs> sticks and no, Misky has a very has a very strict agenda, and we're gonna follow it to a T. Okay. Have you ever have you have you ever heard of John Stossel? Oh, Mister, uh, I have the strict agenda that I'm gonna follow. I'm not gonna have anyone introduce the subject of which they propose for the show. Yes, I've heard of John Stossel. <laughs> <laughs> What about him? What about the mustachioed uh, right. fellow? Um, he's a very nice guy. From what I, <laughs> um, he makes some uh, well-edited uh, YouTube videos um, explaining uh, some of his viewpoints and his opinions, and uh, and a, a number of people um, consume these videos. I was linked to one of these videos by my friend Hector, and after watching it, I noticed that YouTube recommended to me what a fucking hot man. <laughs> after. After watching this video recommended to me by Hector, I noticed that YouTube had also recommended to me videos by the uh, well-known Ben Shapiro, <laughs> as well as uh, Jordan Peterson. And what, what's the problem with that? <laughs> and I, um, Those sexy intellectuals. Oh, they said sexy intellectuals. Haha, <laughs> get it? <laughs> Got him. That's, that's me slapping my hand. Uh, well, anyway, I think that it'd be best that you explain why you shared this video with me, Hector. Oh, yeah, so I um, was perusing through twitter like i usually do because i have all the time to do nothing and i came across a picture of a man with a very thick mustache on his face and then that picture along with the title of the video that was from uh my my aunt my what was it my racist bake sale there you go i thought it was gonna be my first racist bake sale i thought i was gonna have like a very kitty like <laughs> aspect to it but no it was my racist bake sale and the man with the title got me, uh, it, 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 it struck me across the face, and I was instantly back in my seat in my junior year AP English classroom, where I would sometimes have to watch uh, John Stossel videos. Uh, I believe it was like a series, like Stossel in the classroom or some shit like that, that my teacher would sometimes show us. I, I think it was when she didn't have something to do for the day <laughs> i believe i mean that's I, th- I think that's like the thought that i had you know at the time and i that probably is the case is this a uh, ap language uh, language it was language yeah it was my junior yeah yeah okay that makes sense because because that class is a lot about like rhetoric and shit and so probably like your teacher was like ah yes the genius rhetoric of john stossel right yeah th- that does make a lot, a lot of sense um i i mean I haven't thought of this for a long time, so now that it's coming back to me, it that makes more sense as to why she might have done it. I mean, it's also possible that she just didn't want to teach something that day, um, which is what I, I, I like to believe um, because it's a, <laughs> it's a more funnier thought. But uh, I would see these videos, and I wouldn't really think much of them just because it was a video, so I don't have to, like, pay attention. It wasn't like I was going to be quizzed on it or anything, even though there are, I think, mat- like, classroom materials for these videos that John Stossel made, but we didn't do any, do anything. So, but I, I remembered it and I sometimes remember, I remembered some of the stuff that he, he, he talked about, but it didn't have any impact. It's not like, you know, this, the man you see before, well, you can't see me, but the man you hear before you today, you know, is, has been shaped by this mustachioed man. But as it turns out, I came across that, that thing that I mentioned that, uh, from a video and I watched it as well as I watched countless other John Stossel videos today. And my God, um, that this man should be taught not only in high school, um, not only in middle school. He should be taught directly, uh, like like ear headphones over women's uh, tummies when they're when they're pregnant with babies. Uh, everyone should be listening to this to this man. Um, 
because not only does he have like a luscious voice, but his rhetoric, as as, as Hadrian pointed out, um, is also rock solid and not faulty at all. It is not sand. Um, it's it's not a pillar of sand that can be crumbled away by logic and facts. It's an ionic Greek pillar. <laughs> oh, definitely for sure. Um, and case in point, one example. Uh, the the one that I sent to Miski was about uh, government overreach during the pandemic and this was a be i believe released a couple weeks ago um wait he's still doing stuff that was the see so i was surprised i was surprised as well because i i just wanted to watch some of his old stuff trying to find some videos that i, I might have come across in high school the only john stossel video that i've seen is one about like kids and their super nintendos and like <laughs> are, is this gonna ruin society uh, are kids gonna start killing each other because of mario and donkey king <laughs> <laughs> Kids are killing turtles and <laughs> over by their creek. Oh wait, you don't you you, you don't mean to uh, imply that the, the the kid that jumped over the fence and got into Harambe's, uh Yeah, I was trying to save Pauline. <laughs> <laughs> but uh um but so okay. So so to go on with John Sossel, yes, to answer your question, he's still making videos. So after he got so he I he was on ABC, and I think he also had a show on Fox, I believe. And now he's producing content on his own. I mean, YouTube is the best place at the moment at the moment to like do that, um, as a lot of conservative and right wing media will, will tell you. So, uh, actually, he's he, he's he's a libertarian, I guess, just to put it you know up front. So, to 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 put in perspective, he's like a libertarian. Um, a lot of the stuff that he cites in his videos that now that I realize and, and see this from seeing his videos are coming from the Cato Institute, which is also a libertarian think tank. A lot of the things he cites are from, from his place. And the, play, the, the video that I showed Miskin, I sent it to him. Um, the first, I want to say half a minute, was he was showing clips of different uh, news media talking about the pandemic and, you know, the shelter in place. And I was like, we should, you know, do this. And he even said, even the people on Fox or in the right are saying this. And he showed a clip of that. And then he talks about, uh, but what about a state like Wyoming? It's a pretty big state. Why would, like, you do shelter in place here as compared to a place like New York City or like New York? And that was the first instance I realized what a ludicrous ass this guy is. I was sold on the mustache. But now I can't. I, I, I realize, like, if, if he if he didn't talk, I I would have been sold, you know, from the from, from the very beginning. I, I would have been fine with it. But uh, the the moment he opened his mouth and started spewing his like libertarian agitprop, that's when it yeah, it couldn't do it for me. You know, it's not like I, I can just fucking find a cabin in Wyoming that I can just hunker down and and stay there. Well, for what uh, it's worth, like I don't think he's proposing that everyone. It's a cabin. No, 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 no. I, I, I know that that's not what he's proposing. That's, I, I meant like me, myself. I wouldn't want to go live in a, in a cabin all the way in Wyoming. But what, what really has just stopped me was the way that he presents this, this like one tiny thing, like this one tiny fact as like a gotcha. Because this is very prevalent on every single video that he does. That he would, he would say this um either either problem or situation that people might find themselves in and then he says this one it's either it's either this fact or it's it's information that is presented in such a way that uh sort of like furthers whatever he is trying to say and what i mean by that is there are videos that he does on say like like here's a video on homelessness that he did and he said oh you know 
these homeless people are here in the shelter, they're eating, but next door there is an employment center where they can get a job. <laughs> Why aren't these people getting jobs? And he talks to people, and, he, and, and the people that he talks to, um, like, you would think that someone doing a segment on homelessness would talk to a lot of different, you know, voices, a lot of different people, and try to get multiple perspectives on this, but all the people that are heard on the segment or people who uh like you know say that like oh yeah i uh it's like they have excuses as, as what he puts it he's like oh yeah i've had a medical condition since like the 90s oh i like admittedly i, I you know drink sometimes things like that i i was thinking you were gonna say like he like picks like the same people that like the all gas no breaks guy picks oh. <laughs> <laughs> um but th- the reason i mentioned this specific segment is because he immediately follows that up with saying just to prove his point that like it's like oh you know these people like don't actually care about getting jobs there's like you know they just want to play the victim or something he like tells them he's like oh yeah um he tells them about a job opportunity about mowing his lawn he's like oh do you guys want you know you want trying to find a job he's like yeah it's like yeah well i got this lawn they can cut and i can give you some money for it and some bus fare and he does it to a lot of people i think 10 people and only one goes and i i just couldn't believe it as well just because if someone goes up to you and says, hey, you want a job? Hey, I've got this lawn over here, you know, in my, in my backyard. Um, I'll pay you some money. You don't know anything about me. I'm just a stranger. Uh, but, uh, hey, if you want it, you know, go for it. I think this is an example of a furtive fallacy. And I can speak to length about why everyone should learn logical <laughs> fallacies. Is that a logical fallacy in and of itself, to want to learn logical fallacies? The fallacy fallacy. <laughs> Correct. It seems like a furtive fallacy because, like, you have these individuals on YouTube who are going to great lengths to making some large argument about, like, oh, human beings are inherently lazy creatures because I saw a man sleeping on the street once. And it's because they're making I, I, these, like, broad claims about human nature um, with, with such certainty that I think nothing should really be made with. Um, I mean, I, I, I can accuse myself of doing this, but, but to do so with such, such a large following, I think, is dangerous. Um, because you can get a lot of other people believing these things. <sighs> you know what? Let's uh, Misky owned with facts and logic. <laughs> um, yeah, there was also one that he did on USPS that also kind of rubbed me the wrong way, just because it, it was also like I said, it was presented in the same way that Misky mentioned um, with the broad statements and also the like this so matter of fact, holier than thou attitude, like very fucking smug. That he doesn't like even mention anything about the fact that the USPS has gotten shafted by like the government. Um, I think it was like the pre-funding bill is what it's called, as well as the fact that UPS and FedEx and other services like that, like they, they're not going to send packages or mail to like. There's like addresses that they probably they, they won't just because it's not it's like not cost effective for them, not efficient. They rely on USPS to do these things. Same with Amazon. Um, they negotiate with USPS in order to deliver packages. Like Prime is what a hundred fifty? It's like a hundred dollars probably. Or I think less. it's one twenty. It's it's a one thousand dollars a month. That shit will will go through the roof. Um, like by another like a hundred or, or two hundred dollars. Like if USPS wasn't used by by Amazon to deliver their packages. Yep. Correct. It's a service that is very much needed. And John Stossel just goes like, oh, there's like five USPS how, uh, like buildings right next to each other. That's like as if that's it. That's like the entire crux of his argument. Yeah, I I, I, I was not familiar with uh, this uh, Stossel fellow uh, before you. 
you brought him up, but I, I looked at some of his videos. You probably had a great high school. <laughs> <laughs> but I looked at some of his videos uh, before uh, before we called, uh, including this Postal Service one, and I realized that uh, a, a clip of it was in uh, John Oliver's recent video on uh, the USPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also remember. And, and so yeah, and so something that kind of like highlights this this selectivity that you're talking about is like, like he presents like this like five year window of of data of the USPS being in the red when the previous like more than five years. I, I forget how long, but uh, like, like, like John Oliver talked about this, like 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 when you only see this like select amount of time, it you know it's e- it's easy to agree and say oh like yeah like they're doing terribly like you know they should be privatized blah blah blah, but it's it's totally missing the point and it's like willingly obfuscating the truth. Right, and and I feel that's that's a lot of uh, John Stossel stuff. This leads me to the next fallacy I wanted to bring up. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say like um the uh, what is it. Even if the uh, Postal Service was in the red, like, isn't this what the government is for, is to provide services that aren't profitable? Oh, totally. Like, so, like, what the fuck kind of argument are you making? It's like, oh, it's not making money, so we should privatize well, it so that a company can lose money on it? I would say you want the government services to run nonprofit, right? Because you want tax dollars to be used directly for public benefit. And you don't want the government to be losing money constantly because then it will have to take on loans and then it will take, then it will be paying interest. You know, I think ideally you'd, you'd want the government to have no debt, but also have no waste. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying every public service is it, like, like should be running in the red or that everything that isn't profitable should be done by, should be run by the government. Yeah. I'm just saying that like s- saying that a service isn't profitable, isn't a good excuse to privatize it because then what you end up doing is like outsourcing the labor to like gig economy workers or like people in China that get paid like yeah. $3 an hour or whatever. Uh, and like, it's just, a, it's a bad argument as, as, as we've been saying about all of Stossel's other points of genius rhetoric. And choosing those data points um, of like the years where they're in the negative is my favorite, one of my favorite fallacies called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. <laughs> where, hey, 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 whoa, 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 Excuse me? It's called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. Yeehaw! <laughs> it occurs when a speaker chooses a cluster of data that supports their argument when a larger pattern or the overall trend would actually negate that presumption um and it's it's called texas sharpshooter because there are a number of americans who believe that uh for every bad guy in the room with a gun there's a good guy in the room with a gun in this case the man is a texas sharpshooter and will perfectly hit their the bad man target um and while this might happen some of the time um the majority of the time it there is not a texas sharpshooter in the room i don't think i can think of a single shooting incident where where somebody was stopped by a texas sharpshooter normally <laughs> n- nor- normally like what ends well, up happening in these things is like suicide by cop or something i think there was this one guy in a church um not that long ago actually who who was hailed yeah, yeah, yeah. um on, in the news for having shot down a shooter oh yes i i know i remember what you're talking about okay well you know, some t- sometimes people know what to do. And he was, I think, a Texas man and he was a sharpshooter. <laughs> See, it, it, it happened once, so it clearly can happen every other time. This is fitting your 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 argument, Miski. Very coincidental, huh? Yeah, definitely most people, when when, uh, when 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 hearing gunfire in a place where they wouldn't expect it, or just, like, in general, like, definitely don't, like, go into shock or just, like, confusion and, like, and, and have, like, no time to react or whatever. Look to your nearest Texas sharpshooter. 
for for guidance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you if you ever if you ever uh, if you ever have any issues like dealing with a shooter, just dial five one two on your phone, and a Texas sharpshooter will will come by and uh, and take care of the situation before you even finish dialing. He's that fast. For every bad guy with a gun, there's a gun gun with a gun. For every single bad person with a gun, there's only one good person with a gun, and he is everywhere, and he will always save the day. <laughs> Wait, actually, oh man, I actually really like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the worst. He's like every bad guy with the guns is feared. Like if, uh, like if Freddy Krueger was real and went into their their dreams, he would be the good guy with the gun. <laughs> he, he's actually so effective that there aren't any more bad guys with guns because they're too scared to even to, to leave their homes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like an eighties cop show written by a twelve year old. <laughs> In a world uh, where bad guys have guns, only one man can stop them. He is good guy with guns. Three death wish Starring Val Kilmer as. Gun, bang, <laughs> and Danny DeVito as good guy. <laughs> I guess, I guess maybe, maybe I should have, been, I should have had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as gun and Danny DeVito as good guy because that would have been the uh, the inverse of uh, what was that movie that they did together. When they were like supposed to be twins or something, you know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Weren't they both in a Batman movie, or were they in separate Batman movies? Okay, they were also okay. They were also yeah. both in it. Was Batman and Robin? Uh, I've watched that movie with my brother countless times. Excuse um, me. I have it in DVD. I have it. <laughs> in, I have it, it's because I have it in DVD. Anyway, um, but let me see, Arnold. I'll just do a really quick thing. You can maybe edit this so it's seamless. Sure thing, buddy. <laughs> Danny DeVito twins. <laughs> Oh, the movie was just called Twins. <laughs> the movie was just called Twins. <laughs> it's from 1988. Hector, you have to you have to know act like you just you just remembered it, so it can oh. uh, be edited seamlessly. Okay, okay, all right. Here, here is it. Ready? All right, take two and action. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think it was just if you invert it, uh, it should have been Arnold Schwarzenegger as Gun and Danny DeVito as Good Guy because it's it's like the inversion of that movie they did together, uh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> That was what the fuck, dude? You just said the name of the film right before we started shooting. How are you? How, how do you not get this? We we are wasting a thousand dollars a second on this on this expensive tape that allows us to record remotely, and you, you just can't keep fucking around like this. It's okay. magic tape. I'm gonna. I, all right, you know what? I can't. I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm gonna go back to my trailer. <laughs> oh my god, that's another set day wasted because you wouldn't say the right fucking film. Oh my god. Okay, Mr. Spielberg, we uh, we only have enough tape for one more uh, one more take ah oh, shit
so to this day, I still haven't seen Ready Player One yet, but I've read the book twice. Why did I read the book the second time? Because I, like, a fucking wuss and wanted to... You thought that if you flipped the pages fast enough, it would be the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay. So, so I, the reason I read it a second time was because I read it... When I read it the first time, I think I liked it. That was, like, I don't know, it was in middle school or early, early, early high school. My freshman year, I think. I read it again a second time, and I didn't remember anything about it. So, I was, like, going in a fresh start. And then I realized the second time around, like, why I didn't like it as much as the first time. And it reminded me a lot of, uh, like... Seen Sword Art Online, if you've ever seen that anime, um, which I am very vocal of not liking it. Basically, I am not a fan of uh, a protagonist that are extremely, extremely infallible. Every single thing they do is, like, perfect. Like, reading Ready Player One, uh, the second time around, when I, like, just became more conscious of it, I started realizing, like, wow, this, this guy, I forgot his name, but this guy, like, cannot stop winning, there's like there, there's no tension at all throughout the entire book. The only moment of like weakness, I guess, for him is like when he like is in an apartment with a sex doll. I think because he's lonely. Excuse um, me. <laughs> yeah, that was like the only that part kind of shook me when I first read it because I, I I like didn't really expect it to turn out that way. Um, and then the second time around, I was like, oh yeah, this guy's just fucking horny. Um, yeah, the book's not it's not good. Um, and I haven't seen the movie yet. It is written by the guy that made Fanboys, or I think his name is Ernest Klein. I did watch Fanboys first, like, years ago. And I think that movie is about a couple, like, Star Wars nerds that are trying to get to George Lucas's, um, like, ranch because one of their friends is, like, dying from cancer. And they're going to watch uh, – they wanted to watch The Phantom Menace before it came out. The only thing I remember from that movie is, like, one of the characters likes Rush. Like the band? Yeah, the band Rush. Yeah. Which I think was played – I think it was, like, played as a joke because, like, he just, like, always has, like, a Rush shirt and, like, has, like, all their cassettes – but they're a fucking great band. I don't. I don't know what the. I don't know, I don't know what's funny. About Wait, it. Uh, are you saying that like someone's dying wish was to watch the Phantom Menace? Right. But yes, because this was a uh, like that was like the plot of the movie. That's, that, <laughs> I, I I don't know anything about the the prequels. I've never seen the prequels. I just have heard that they're bad. Well, to to I guess to put it this way, the very ending of the movie, they go to the theater because like they they actually get the wish fulfilled. Um, he's George Lucas never in the movie, but they get the wish fulfilled. And the last thing one of the friends say to the friend with cancer is like, hey, what if it sucks? And they just like look at each other and then the the, the, the movie ends. <laughs> it just like ends on that joke, I guess. One of the things that I've heard um, from people who like experience the prequels um, is that like one of the things that happened when The Phantom Menace came out was that there, there was this kind of like, like, like it's this mixture of Stockholm Syndrome and buyer's remorse where they're like, that was good, right? And, and, you know, you, you look at the person next to you, you're like, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I really like that film. And, like, um, there there wasn't that sort of, like, notoriety of, like, it being a shitty film until, like, a little bit after the movie had had come out. And I can say that as a, a kid who saw those movies, I um I, I remember people were like, yeah, it was it was good. And then it wasn't until later that people were like, well, that was kind of, like, all shoehorned in random garbage that just added the fan count but didn't really create an embraceable movie and storyline experience i believe i had the originals on vhs and maybe maybe the phantom menace as well and then the rest uh, the other uh prequels were on dvd so i I watched them a lot when i was younger uh i didn't you know think much of it whether it was good or not because i didn't i didn't have like 
a taste back then, nor did I could you know tell whether movies were good or not. I just like watched them because it's <laughs> fucking Star Wars. It's, it's Star Wars, you know what I mean? Um, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Well, when you're a kid, you don't know what good art is, right? Like a kid doesn't have like a sense of what the good art and the bad art is. Oh no, I mean I was following Basquiat back before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean okay, yeah, I agree with you. Um, but with uh, yeah, I mean even back then though, I, I like did know notice like the, the the prequels had a lot of uh, vested interest in a lot of world building and a lot of the politics between the different uh, I guess races. And, and uh, planetary governments. The problem is the dialogue, and and that is always going to be the, the 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 weakness of of the prequels. Um, one of the weaknesses. I'm not going to say it's the main one, but it like it's it's so awful. I don't like sand. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> the same. <It's>, thing. <laughs> I hate sand. It gets everywhere, yeah. and it's so brown. It's yeah. But do you think that buyer's remorse is as uh, or like Stockholm's like you know the buyer's remorse Stockholm syndrome Stockholm's remorse Stockholm's remorse would also apply to the the sequels <laughs> because because in my opinion the Force Awakens mm. fine it's like it's obvious it's very everybody knows this, this is a rehash of a New Hope but that's fine in people's books just because it's it's like the safe thing to do right um, yep then you had the Last Jedi which. Um, even though there was a lot of things not good with it, like there was like a lot of faults to it, it did at least try to do something new. And and that's like the one thing that I will like, at least, you know, praise about the movie. Um, not, not a whole lot, but at least like just the fact that it wanted to try something new and like very different. Uh, and I was also very fine with like the whole idea of Luke, um, becoming like a very cynical, bitter old man. As if, like, that would be a way to, for, like, a redemption arc if it was, like, kind of properly planned out for the entire trilogy. But that didn't happen because the, the uh, Rise of Skywalker just completely shat on Last Jedi at every single opportunity. Correct. Like, the very, I think the very first thing they, they did was they revealed multiple clones of Snoke in, like, these, like, like, uh, uh, like cryogenic tubes or whatever. And that made me laugh. That That was, like... That was hilarious. Um, I'll, I'll give it to them, um, but it also just meant that they, they, like they they just like absolutely hated Rian Johnson for what he did, which is just funny. Yeah, you know, I, I, like like I mentioned before, I don't give a fuck about Star Wars. <laughs> this is like I don't I don't yep. think that anyone hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Um, they clearly haven't met Hadrian. <laughs> no, because I'm ambivalent about it. People shat, took a yeah. big old shit all over Star Wars when it came out. I remember listening to like the Hello Internet episode uh, that came out about The Last Jedi. Uh, I'm not going to recommend Hello Internet uh, because it's popular enough that it doesn't need my recommendation and I don't listen to it anymore. Um, but like, <laughs> it, it, it was like they were talking as if somebody had like killed their dog or something. They were very, very <laughs> upset about The Last Jedi for so many reasons. And I was like, "It's it is it really that big of a deal? It's just a fucking movie." Like for me, the the experience of the Last Jedi was like slightly less ephemeral than the popcorn that I had watching the Last Jedi. <laughs> there were some cool scenes, like there was the red ninja thing, and then there was the purple haired lady who like slammed the spaceship with her spaceship. That shit was really cool. Wait, wait, okay. Mentioning that in the Rise of Skywalker, if you're oh, okay, okay, you probably didn't see it. Actually, no, I don't think you did. Nope. But in Rise of Skywalker, they mentioned this. And it was like, well, why can't we just slam the dreadnought with with what we have? And and they're like, oh, uh, it's it's too risky. 
I mean, yeah, she did die. It's <laughs> a good point. I mean, yeah, but but, but there's like, but it's like so, um, it's so incredibly effective. It's just like, why didn't they fucking do something like like this before? Um, but it's like, I think it's like the way they just like waved it away. It's just like it, you could really tell that they're they're like the people making Rise of Skywalker are like seething with rage for all the stuff that the Last Jedi, like all the work that they had to like. Uh, they gave them. I don't even know if they're necessarily mad. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they were mad or not. But I think that moment actually kind of did ruin space combat in Star Wars to an extent. Oh, I, I agree, yeah. <laughs> because like now, now you have to ask that question for every single space battle. It's like, oh, like why don't we just like blast through this other ship with our ship? Like Because like, it's so stupidly effective. There's, it's hard to justify <laughs> not doing it. Except that they don't do it in literally other like every other space battle. Which is kind of why I, I, yeah, I thought it was funny, but it's just kind of uh, another thing, which is why I I liked the Last Jedi a little bit more, just because <laughs> it, it like raised that question, and it's just like, yeah, why didn't we just fucking do it? It's like, it so obvious. Uh, like it, it's been what forty years in the making this like this like franchise, um, but. I don't know. It, it's fine. I mean, I honestly prefer Last Jedi over Rise of Skywalker. Like, Rise of Skywalker is not good for someone who wants to, like, breathe, like, at a normal leisurely rate. Because all the scenes go by really fast. Like, extremely fast. Oh, you're in this world. It has, like, a little nice setting. Boom, you're in, uh, Boom. like, gone. Nazi Germany where they're trying to uh, <laughs> find, uh, like... They're trying to find Magneto. Well, well, it's like, there's like a, there's like a, there's a, there's a scene that it's like, it's like uh, snowy and it's like very reminiscent of like the Gestapo, like finding, they're trying to find uh, Jewish people like hiding. And it was like a, in Excuse my opinion, me. I think it was like a very good scene. Uh, but if they lingered more on it and some other parts of the movie, it would have been fine. It would have been good. But they just, like, fuck, they got in, they got out. <laughs> they, like, barely gave any people screen time. It was, like, yep. it was ridiculous. You're talking about the snow world that they went on. Yeah, yeah. The snowy world. The one with uh, Baba Frick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you guys, uh, do you guys remember I sent you a link to a, a video someone had voiced over Baba... Uh, someone, no, no. Someone had said... <laughs> had voiced over C-3PO... <laughs> Was it uh, Alex Jones? So, there's a scene. Okay, after this, we're done talking about Star Wars. Oh, I'm fine with it, yeah. I just want to, it was just a fun segue, though. Yeah. I mean, look, just because you're an MIT student doesn't mean you're an actual beaver. Hey, you don't know that. We're all working remotely now. You can't assume my species. Also, we're like not MIT students really anymore, I'm pretty sure. I think all of us are done with our stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been done for like um, since for Thursday. Since Thursday. I've been done for at least 24 hours. Ooh, nice. Congratulations. How do you think your identity will change now that you are officially done? Are going to change your entire identity? Is that what you're going to say you're just going like, to fake your death? <laughs> well, maybe not that extreme. I mean, why not? You got your MIT degree, and then you can just fake your death, and then just assume a new identity, new life. You know, as if you never had your MIT a, a degree. You know, see, see, see how far you can go without without that degree, huh? Huh? Of course, you're not going to part with your with your uh, MIT ring. You're right. I should absolve myself of all physical goods and titles. 
and live off the land. That's which is why I am I'm going to be start planting bean seeds on campus. Beans. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle, just like the Star Wars universe. Oh no, <laughs> George Lucas, it's a ring. It's like poetry; <laughs> it rhymes. <laughs> Stop. Stop. I wonder if George Lucas had ever read poetry in his life. In his life. And we, uh, <clears throat> I wonder if George Lucas had ever read poetry in his life. That wasn't a good read either. Do a third. <clears throat> I wonder if George Lucas ever read poetry in his life. Okay, that one was good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll use that one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you can always like pitch my voice down. Uh, there's, there's effects in audacity. I- I'm using logic, so there's even more effects. Ooh. We can make you sound like a whole new person. Using machine learning. <laughs> ETQD, but everyone is Babu Frick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, the addition of that character was a pleasant surprise to an already shitty franchise. <laughs> Podcast is ready. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We got to get off this oh, topic. It's, it's okay. All right. We got we to gotta treat this topic like COVID. Uh, uh, I had a birthday calzone. Oh yeah, you you finished MIT. How is that related to Star Wars? <laughs> it's not. That's where we're getting off the fucking topic. We're taking into 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 Hadrian's birthday calzone. Yeah, I got a calzone from Regina Pizzeria. Oh yeah, happy birthday. Oh yeah, thank you. Should should we sing happy birthday to you? No. Uh, how does it feel to be fifteen in America? <laughs> what? I mean, it's your fifteenth birthday, isn't it? Uh, sure. I guess. I think it says twenty. Second. Yes, that is correct. Oh, sorry, wow. sorry for not playing along in your improv, Hector. <laughs> okay. No, 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 that's okay. I was just going to say, uh, it's never happened to me, but a wish I had is, you remember that SpongeBob episode when Pearl has her birthday and Mr. Krabs <laughs> like, has the, the, ah, oh, fuck, what were their names? Boys Who Cry? The Boys Who Cry, when they come in and it goes like, yeah, happy birthday, Pearl. Like like doing something like that um, <laughs> for like my birthday would have been great, um, but if it's possible for me to do it for your birthday, you know you know that'd be good. You know, and 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 in that case, you can like edit in the boys who cry song, but then every single time it says Pearl, you can just say edit my uh, like Hadron, just edit that <laughs> in there. Uh, edit you saying <laughs> that in that tone of voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As my birthday gift to you, of course you'd have to do the you'd have you'd have to do the work <laughs> editing. It. Oh yeah, it's it, it's like those Kickstarters where if you give them a thousand dollars, you have to pay to go see them and have lunch with them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh man, how was the calzone? Yeah. It was good. This is the second time that I've had the calzone. Um, and like I don't know, it, it's it's like artery cement. It's very obscene. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's my give it a rating. Uh, I, I give it a, I, I give it one out of one calzones. <laughs> uh, it was very concrete in the sense that it existed. Is it currently zero out of one? Um, it, it's currently processing through my digestive system. <laughs> okay, that's too much. That's too much information. <laughs> okay, you, you asked him. I mean, it was good. It's got so so like the the, the calzones, uh, Regina, like the the classic one. It's got it's got pepperoni. It's got I think ricotta cheese. It's topped with sesame seeds. It's like Ooh. the greasiest thing imaginable. <laughs> a high roller. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it's very good. Um, 
And this is probably the last time that I'm going to eat it because it, it'll fucking kill me if I... I think I think it's like one of those things where it's like... You know how if you say Bloody Mary three times, she comes in, in, in the mirror, she comes in and kills you? It's like if you eat three calzones from Regina's Pizzeria, like your heart will just fucking stop. So I'd rather not. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the birth zone. So let's move on to Kickstarter. Like what comes to mind are you have the very generic xylophone and ukulele music Ugh. that accompanies these like awful, very boring videos. And then the, and then they talk like way too loud. Like their voice is like 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 the audio is like twice as loud as like whatever else you're watching. It's horrible. Well, it's probably compressed to high heaven, but they're just like very close to the mic. What did, what did you say? <laughs> um, but but besides 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 the music, there's also um. I remember there was one instance of a project. I think it was by Butch Hartman, if that name is familiar to the you. The Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom, Butch Hartman. Yeah, yeah. He he. I believe he tried to start a project where he was going to have his own network, and that failed miserably. Um, he he. I think he got into like petty arguments with people, which was pretty sad. Um, I think it, I think I also found out that he was also very, um, or he was like pretty religious, um, which. Now with the fairly odd parents of Danny Phantom, I kind of like start to wonder. Hmm, maybe the signs were there all along. What do you mean? <laughs> Wait, what is religious about Danny Phantom? What? Spiritus Ghost. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I just I just had to say it. Yes, Danny, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would you would think that like that like, the, like you know the crazy like 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 fundamentalist people like in in the South or whatever the people that I grew up with, for example. Um, that, that like you know having some sort of like image of, of spectral beings would be like considered sinful. Because I, I, I have a friend who like his parents wouldn't wa- let him watch Harry Potter. So like I imagine that like si- th- there would be similar anxiety about Danny Phantom. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It was uh, he like, he did a video. It was uh, the name of the network was called Oasis. <laughs> it was called Jesus TV Network. That can't be right. <laughs> oh, it was yeah. It was called Oasis. But it was with an X. <laughs> o- Oaxis? What? <laughs> Oaxis? Oaxis. Oaxaca? Oaxis. I'm not sure what has come of it after. I mean, I followed it last year when it, um, like, early, early last year. I think it was in January when it, like, <laughs> was released to the public. But I'm not sure what came of it at all. And, and as well as Butch Hartman. I mean, he, le- he left Nickelodeon. Wait, did this? Did they end the show? Uh, yeah, I believe. Because uh, like the thing is, like, 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 I just felt like the Fairly Odd Parents like was in a similar. Oh, that show jumped the chart. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, they it's a children's show. What do you expect? But like, oh no, no, no. But sorry, sorry. Yeah, it ended in twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah, but I thought that the Fairly Odd Parents and SpongeBob were in like similar tiers, where it was like those shows could never fucking die. I guess SpongeBob mm. is is like oh. SpongeBob is basically like the Simpsons of children's programming, <laughs> where it's just like it's, its golden years were a lot shorter than the Simpsons, obviously. But like there was some genius fucking content <laughs> in the first three seasons, stuff that like I still laugh at as an adult. Um, now there's like, you know, like 17 more years of stuff and like that show is going to go on until the end of time. It's going to be like that Don Hertzfeld couch gag where it's like the year 12,000 and, and it's just fucking avant-garde shit. Oh, I've yeah. seen that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned SpongeBob actually because 
so the thing with that, yeah, I agree with you. I think I think it was like the first three or four seasons that occurred uh, before the 2004 movie, and then after that is like when Steven Hillenburg left. Uh, I forgot for how long, and then he came back onto the show as like you know the head writer. But uh, so Steven Hillenburg being the creator of, of of SpongeBob. Welcome back to Sponge on the Rocks. This is your weekly SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so so I, I bring up or I continue talking about SpongeBob because the point you made about like yeah like this or Fairly Odd Parents or Kids of the Simpsons like being shows that will like always live on they, they'll never die right. So yeah I, I I know I mentioned the Fairly Odd Parents like ending in 2017 but with SpongeBob it's still going. And they actually, I forgot how long ago, don't know if it was a year ago or so, that they had announced that they were going to do a spinoff, 13 episodes, I think, of a prequel of SpongeBob. I don't know if it was called like Camp SpongeBob or something, but it's like, I think SpongeBob and the other characters are like younger and they all are in camp, I think. Oh my God. Um, which is kind of weird because, and I know it's probably weird for us to talk about like a kid's sh- you know it's not that weird fuck fuck you if you think it's weird we're philosophers <laughs> um don't uh, kick shame us <laughs> yeah. so like like most of the characters in the show are like in their 20s like i, I would imagine and mr krabs and plankton are old as hell squitter's probably in his 40s because he's probably in middle age but the reason i bring that up is because in the spinoff that's going to happen they're all very young probably the same age like they're all kids it's just weird that they all had known each other. Yeah. When when you said that there was a prequel to SpongeBob, I was imagining like something that would be probably much more interesting, which is just like the Krusty Krab, like, and it's just Squidward and Mr. Krabs, and they're just like the only two employees <laughs> in the restaurant. That sounds and, like hell. <laughs> yeah, and you've got and you've got like this money grubbing asshole, like Tom Nook ass motherfucker, and then you've got like this sort of like you know just very melancholy, just like just like snobbish, depressed Squidward. And they're just, there's no like positive force in the Krusty Krab. So it's just like these two miserable motherfuckers just kind of like, I don't know, maybe they're like smoking cigarettes and it's like all black and white. On the first episode, um, a representative from Uber Eats comes into the building and tries to convince them to do food delivery through their platform. It's all very modern. Yeah. Although, although this was probably, this was going to be, this would be take place in the late nineties. And so yeah. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't be Uber Eats, but I guess like may, maybe it went to like Bikini Bottom before it came up to the United States, and it just took a really long time for them to gain any traction. Perhaps. I'm actually more uh, I, even with the SpongeBob stuff. I'm actually excited because there is going to be a remake coming soon. I think in June of SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom. Yes. Which I'm I'm excited because I I loved the game when I was younger. Uh, the only SpongeBob I I had a lot of SpongeBob games, but the first two I played, the first two I had were uh, Revenge of the Flying Dutchman and Battle for Bikini Bottom. The thing about Revenge of the Flying Dutchman is that it's an ass game. But the thing is, like I I my experience with the game was like it was bad, but that was because I had a lot of games in the PS2, and I don't know if this is a thing for everyone um, besides me. It probably is, but. The discs end up turning blue for some reason, or very dark blue, and they just don't work anymore. And so whenever I try to play Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, I just play for, like, a couple levels, and they just, like, crash. So I never, like, actually progressed with the game. But even when I did play the game, I still remembered it not, like, not enjoying it. Battle for the Bikini Bottom, on the other hand, golden. There's golden showers, you know, <laughs> uh, of, of raining down on what? me, like mouth agape. It's it's amazing. Hold on. And uh, they've uh, they announced a remake, I think, <laughs> wait, a year ago, wait, and it's coming soon um, next month. So I'm pretty happy. Heck, dude. 
I uh, I think we might want to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Were my levels too high? I, I, guess, I guess we have a, a very small. Do you want me to lower, quiet it down? I guess. No, no, totally fine. <laughs> never mind, never mind. Let's 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 move on. <laughs> uh, so I played Battle for Bikini Bottom. I actually played it sophomore IAP. Oh really? Yeah, there was a there was a computer in, in on the hall where I lived that had Dolphin on it. Um, and so I put the GameCube version of that game on there, completely legally, of course. Um, oh. <laughs> and um, I, I played the game, and it was like I remember like like growing up and playing like these sort of like you know Mario sixty four esque three D platformers, and like it's still pretty fun. Like it's easy because it's a baby game for children. Um, and I was like a like nineteen year old man or whatever playing playing this children's game. But it was like you know it was pretty fun like doing the things. It wasn't like boring or or, or anything. Like I was like oh yes I remember or maybe, maybe a lot of it was fueled by nostalgia but like I went through it like I I beat all the bosses I got 91 golden spatulas I think hey. out of 100 um so so you know I had a pretty good time yeah I think I also played it I know I played it while I was at MIT like back home um I don't know if it was around the same time that you did or not um it reminds me of a story or just like playing on in our living spaces at MIT so I bought Ape Escape 3 because I enjoyed the hell out of Ape Escape 2 when I was younger. Played it a lot. Never played Ape Escape 3 and really wanted to. So I was like, you know what the hell? We've got a PS2. I'm going to order a copy of Ape Escape 3 and ship it to my dorm because I can. And I will. And I did. And I started playing the game and I realized that the PS2 that I was using uh, for my haul did not have a memory card. This was before I went back, when I went back home afterwards, uh, after playing the game, I, I had an extra memory card from my, my room, so I took it back with me um, in case I played more PS3 games in the future. But at the time, I didn't have one, and there wasn't any nearby. And I was thinking of buying one, but I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll just play the game and see how far I can go. So I started playing Escape 3, and then played it for a, a, quite a while. And then I was like, okay, I got to you know, go take a nap. But I didn't want to uh, lose all my progress. So I just got a piece of paper and just wrote, please do not turn off PS2 playing Ape Escape 3. Thanks. Oh, no. A foolproof plan. Okay, so I guess, spoiler alert, there wasn't anything bad that happened. Nobody turned it off. But I, that's like the point I'm trying to make. Like this happened for a couple days. Uh, I just left the PS2 running. I turned off the TV, but I left the PS2 running for like several days in, the, in like the <laughs> span of one week when I was playing Ape Escape 3. And I beat it at the very end of that week. Um, but that PS2 was like uh, a fire hazard by that point. Was it just running super hot? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was in the summer, I think. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like I should have, you know, obviously realized and I probably should have gotten a memory card at that point, but. I, I didn't care. I just wanted to play Ape Escape 3. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, the, the memory cards, like, probably nowadays will run you, like, $50 or some shit for, like, an 8 megabyte memory card. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I am glad I had a spare one. And yeah. I knew I had a spare one because I only ever used one my entire life. But I did have a second one. Speaking of these old games, I saw a post online from somebody who is a video game streamer and how they were reaching out to some of their old friends they played, like, first-person shooters with in, like, the 2010s. Or like early 2010s, like 2000, I think it was 2011, um, they met this person and they played with them um, a game called Battlefield Bad Company 2, um, which was really popular for like uh, sort of a, a large scale map um, and having a very large uh, number of players in a given game. Um, and they talked about how they reached out to an old friend that they hadn't played with in a long time. And 
the person who got back to them was the son, like, like the, the child of their, of the friend that they were playing with. And it was like this whole notion that, you know, like these games that make up our childhoods and that we play throughout our lives, like they like kind of remain ageless in our own heads. Um, and like these weird occurrences happen where we like go back to these old games we haven't touched in a long time. So I guess hearing about this SpongeBob game, it kind of sounds like you had a similar experience that was kind of like ageless. Um, and that you could kind of return to this game whenever, and it, it gives you the same sort of sense of, of you know, enjoyment. Did you feel like you were, like, transported back to it? I, I mean, not necessarily, but I, but what I will say is, because what happens is that, like, I, I played the game a lot, like, throughout, like, my childhood, I guess. Like, I played it in many stages of my life. And, and another game where I did that also was Spyro 2. Oh, mm. Maybe do I? I'm gonna I'm gonna mute my mic while you finish this. <laughs> okay. Specifically, the second game because like for some reason like my parents like always had like weird sequels to games like or like sequels <laughs> to games and they never had the original one. So it's like we had Spyro <laughs> two, we had Crash Bandicoot two, we had ATV <laughs> Off Road Fury three. Like okay. <laughs> we never had the first one, but like Spyro two, I've one hundred percent of that game at least four or five times in my life. Yeah, I uh, yeah I. I so I've got I got the first three Spyros on PS One and, and, and you're the Dragonfly. That game sucks so bad. Oh, we had that one too. Okay, yeah, okay, so 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 yeah, I 100 percented those games too as well. But it took me until late high school, or I guess when I was starting MIT, when I came to realize that Year of the Dragonfly was actually not a good game because <laughs> I played it when I was very young, right? And I, I beat it, and it was like very fun. That's because I was in a child mindset. Um, but but it's it's a, such a broken game and it's it's not good. But it's actually you know because of that it's actually kind of the easiest things to speed run. Um, I've never done that. But but speaking of Spyro two, I have the memory of playing a few levels. I think there's like a few levels uh, from like a demo disc that I had on the PS one. Um, I think it was like the Fire Valley uh, Skeletal Badlands level with the lava. Yes, Scott's uh, Badlands, <laughs> and uh, the uh, the one with the uh, the the, to- the turtles. Um, I don't know the levels names, but those two I think were on the demo disc, and then I, I also had the game, the full game as well. Oh, okay, I had all three, but um, my favorite of the trilogy is Spyro Two. It it's, has like the best um, what is it like cutscenes that like open up every single level. They're very funny. It's great level design. It's fun. Great music as well. I mean, some literally. Uh, I distinctly remember starting MIT, uh, doing P-sets, P-setting with friends, and the music I'd be listening to would be, like, Winter Tundra. Yes. Amazing ambient music in those hub Or, or Summer Tundra. I would listen to Winter Tundra as well as, like, there's, like, two winter-level songs from Ape Escape 3 as well. So I, I would listen to those, like, interchangeably. But, uh, but yeah, and uh, Spyro 1 is, is fun. Spyro 3, they... I remember seeing some interviews, they... The developers wanted to put a lot more stuff into it, and it was a little bit of a mixed bag in that way because they introduced more characters that you can play as, and so so yeah, so it was a mixed bag kind of with that. But it was also still a good game. Um, but Spyro Two being the best, I did play a bit of a Hero's Tale, but I didn't ever finish it. And then by then, like I kind of like only ever reverted back to just playing the, the you know the first three games whenever I can. And, and and now there's a, there was a remastered version, which I should probably get at some point, um, you know, and play that. 
Yeah, so I, ha- I have two things to say before before we let the other uh, the other people back into the podcast. Um, the, the first thing that I want to say is that uh, I agree. I played Spyro 3 the first time um, in college, completely legally and legitimately, uh, of course. Um, and, and, and the thing that I did notice about it and the reason that I sort of, like, stopped playing it was because, like, or at least stopped trying to 100% it was that it was, like, so bloated. Like, that, that was my sort of, like, my take on it, is that they added mm-hmm. too much yeah. shit into the game. Like, with Spyro 2, it was, like... It's golden spatulas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it was, like, with Spyro 2, it's, like, you're always playing a Spyro. Like, you know you know how Spyro controls. And so th- the fun of the game is just, like, doing what you can with the, with, the, with the few tools that you have. And then Spyro 3 just throws in all of the shit, including the kitchen sink, which is just, you know... Too much. It's like you don't want that kitchen sink in there. And then the sparks levels just suck shit. Like whatever. Um, the, the the second thing that I wanted to say was that my favorite thing about the Spyro Two cutscenes is that the like the introductory cutscene, like some people's like voice acting was recorded without pop filters. So I will always remember like the the way that like uh, Alora says like like calm down, Hunter, and stop fidgeting without the pop filter. Um, okay, 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 let's, let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> Alright guys, you're, you're out of your cage. Hop to it, come on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So Noah, give us give us a tale of your day. Of my day? Yes. Oh, oh boy. So there's, a, there's construction uh, on... In my street, they're replacing what I think to be the the water line. There's this like I don't know, maybe like three foot wide looking pipe that's sitting on the on the side of the street, and there's this huge trench that they've dug in. But w- what's been interesting about it is that they're using these like huge machinery to dig out the earth, and so every time like this like shovel uh, hits the ground, the entire house shakes. Oh God. <laughs> And it's, it's like, I don't know, maybe mildly concerning. Mm. I, I don't think it's been a problem yet. But like, I'll just hear this distant, like, thump. And then, like, a couple things on my desk rattle. That's, uh, it must be great for your productivity. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I have nothing that I need to be productive on. Nothing? Not really. I mean, I, I'm done. Like, turned in my thesis, had, had my exam. I'm just chilling. Do you want to come help me make these secret gardens? <laughs> I would if I could. That's it, Hadrian. By the rule of law, you cannot stop your recording because Miski <laughs> said it so.